and welcome to Apocalypse Arcade Zone, Episode 4. I am Elliot Wengler, the comedian and host behind this podcast, where comics and gaming fans come together to discuss their lives through the end of the world and video games. They must select the games that form their lives to create the Apocalypse Arcade. This week's guest is the comedian, the legend, the wrestling MC, Dan McKee. Just as a little preface, Dan had a couple of childcare issues when we were recording this a few weeks ago. We had to keep software starting it, created a few audio issues at his end. I've tied it up as best I can, um, but I might use just bear with me a bit on this one because Dan's contribution and his anecdotes and stories are joyous and a delight and worth listening to, so please enjoy the show. Thank you very much for liking, subscribing and supporting the show, and please tune in again next week when we return to the Apocalypse Arcade Zone. That's it for now, thank you so much, and until then, enjoy this week's Apocalypse Arcade Zone. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 4 of Apocalypse Arcade Zone. My name is Elliot Wengler and I am joined this week by a comedian, a Wrestlemania man, a jiu-jitsu fighter, not, not the, the, a man I was introduced to about a decade ago as the comedian in Norwich. He'll be displeased to learn that that, 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 that that title now applies to far too many people because none of them hold a candle to the original legend. It's Dan McKee, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, how are we all? Are we well? <laughs> There's no one here, Dan. It's just you and me, I'm afraid. Well, I know. But the viewers are there, aren't they? they uh, if, the if, listeners, indeed. If you're indeed. listening and Dan asks you if you're well and you are well, you are allowed to reply, but we will not be replying any further further in the discourse it will be very much one way from here on um <laughs> dan, how, <laughs> dan how are you i'm all right i'm good i'm good what have you been up to, um, to uh, not much uh, lately i uh some gigs some uh wandering around some, <laughs> some, some wandering into a variety of b&ms dan you're one of the only people who could say some wandering around and make it sound like there's so much more intrigue than there is in the, in, in the way you say it um, I was introduced to you, like I say, about a decade ago, when I yes, first I moved. So, right. to, when I first moved to Norwich, because I went there to go to university, and I went on the chortle forum and said, "Does anyone know who books comedy gigs in Norwich? I want to start doing comedy gigs." And your name came up as like the lo- as the local man who knew everything, and you oh, sort well, of did. Are. And you, I suppose I did. You know, I suppose the reason I knew everything was because I was the only person who did anything. <laughs> so, ergo, if I didn't do it, it wasn't done. How, how did you get started in comedy yourself? Uh, quite inauspiciously, actually. I was uh, I was doing a postgraduate in Leicester, and it was Leicester Comedy Festival. And the comedian Toby Haydock uh, was previewing his show, uh, Moth Ate My Doctor Who Scarf, at the time. And... Uh, I went along because it was sort of he was previewing it quite near my where I was staying. He said, "Oh yeah, you know this is comedy." And there was uh, I, I I don't think I'd ever been to a live stand-up gig. I'd been to see comedy before when I was growing up in Norwich. There was a lot of um, the old Channel Five comedy shows like Bring Me the Head of Light Entertainment uh, recorded in Norwich, but not an actual stand-up show. So I saw this, and then uh, there was a guy called Adnan there who ran a weekly gig uh in leicester in the the semi-famous firebug venue in leicester and from that i i started going every week to watch the shows and then became quite good i had a passing uh uh acquaintance with uh other comedian doctor who fan andrew neil and I think he just said, oh, well, if you want to give it a go, give it a go. And I thought, oh, well, I'll give it a go. 
Uh, had no idea how to give it a go, moved back to Norwich and thought, oh, better start an open mic night up then. That's the only way I can really give it a go, can't I? Um, Dan, you were you, 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 you were a comic sort of for quite a while before I met you, um, mm. and you were sort of you know gigging a lot, and then you kind of took a lot. You, if I'm right, you sort of took a, you took quite a long break from it once you. I had, did. Once you had a kid. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, but something you did sort of, I remember seeing you around the time of your sort of saying like, I'm retiring. I remember, yeah. you, I remember you, you, you were emceeing wrestling gigs as well and things like that. I was, time. actually. How did you get yes. into that and what was that like? Uh, so, that was that was really good fun. I was, I, I was, yeah, I was the ring announcer for a, for a good few wrestling matches. Uh, and that was, as ever, Providence. I, so, there was a local wrestling organisation called Falling Star Wrestling, uh, just out, based just outside Norwich, uh, which had uh, been set up by... A, uh, a guy who I can't remember what his name is now, but anyway, he moved to America and married uh, WWE former WWE champion Mickey James. Uh, and anyway, they just put a fi- I, I just followed the page because I occasionally went to watch their uh, watch their wrestling. And at one point, they said, uh, "We're looking for a new ring announcer. Does anyone want to do it?" And I said, "Does anyone want to audition?" And I said, "Yeah, go on." <laughs> and it turned out the bloke who ran it was just like round the corner from me, so it sort of it worked out quite well. They were all very, they were all good fun. And then you moved north a few years ago, but you've and and you and you've resumed stand up in the last few years because I remember seeing you. I saw you at Leicester, and you were telling me how it just sort of slowly but surely you got inevitably drawn back in. Absolutely. So I. Uh... I really had no no intention of ever coming back at all. Uh, I'd sort of moved on, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then I was having... Uh, lockdown was ending. Uh, and I just had some conversation, random conversation with a, someone on Twitter. Uh, and they, they said a phrase that sort of burnt into my subconscious, which is, why don't you just do a gig? <laughs> and I thought, yeah, actually, why don't I just do a gig? I can just do a gig, that's fine. Uh, I had no real knowledge of how I would go about doing just doing a gig, so I thought, well, I better look at because I'm kind of near Manchester. I'm easy to get to Manchester from where I live, so I thought I'll get in, I'll get on the train, I'll find a sign up on the night night, do it, slink home, get it out of the way, you know. Um, get and it anyway, out the system. get it out of the system, and then a uh, promoted advert turned up on my Facebook feed about a gig called Comedy Kiln, which was a new open mic night in Stoke, starting in a pub I used to, I occasionally drank in. And I thought, well, that's not the universe saying something. <laughs> I don't know what is. So I did it, and then i kind of been doing it ever since. And you're happy, really? you're happy to be back on the circuit. And you're, yeah, you're, I am. Because you're, 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 I think something you said to me when, we, when, we, when I managed you, when I saw you at Leicester Festival earlier this year, you said... Something I might be paraphrasing, but like get, being up in the north means although there are fewer gigs, there's that much less competition to get spots. So therefore, you can get more paid work on the regular and have a have a better quality of comedy life, as it were. Yes, yes, I think that you know that there's in the north there's twenty people vying for each spot, whereas in London it's three hundred people vying for each spot. Like, I was doing it for about ten years, but I was pro for about five. 
But then you just show up to an open mic night. The guy starting his first new open mic night is in some town, and go, "Oh yeah, I'll do a spot." And then you go on yeah. and just like storm it with the complete professionalism of a <laughs> like. <laughs> well, I don't. I, I mean, I don't think it was. I don't think I exactly stormed it. I was terribly, terribly nervous. Um, but, that really strikes uh, me. I can't imagine you as a. I can't imagine you. Yes. Yeah. Well, I I'd been away for so very long. I suppose. How how do, how do you cope? How would you think you'd cope with the world coming to an end? Oh, well, it depends. Is there a middle aisle of Lidl anywhere? Oh, I can stop <laughs> my apocalypse supplies. You're chainsaw first... sharpener. Yes, that'll do. You are... I haven't got a chainsaw, but the sharpener. Yeah, You're the first person to actually respond with, okay, if it's gonna, if it has to end, I will actually get, I will get, I will get a supply and start coping. No, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, I live in the Midlands and it's, very little there's very little between the apocalypse and what it is now isn't there so <laughs> what would you what would your first instinct be when 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 the siren goes off and they announce uh, yeah. it's the apocalypse or the bombs have gone off somewhere and or oh dear god help what was what would your first sort of reaction actually be oh i'll just have a gin dear just have a gin, <laughs> just, have a gin. <laughs> just break like, 20 well, sobriety <laughs> i know i just I, you, you think well what's the point anymore i might yeah. as well if I'm going out, I'm going to go out in fashion, I'm going to go out in style, you know. <laughs> so mental health support groups are going to get a bit less funding now, I suppose. Oh, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Well, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, Alcoholics, very obvious. <laughs> Hello, darlings. You know, like, Mad Max 2 had it right. If the apocalypse is coming, get your leathers out. Um. So if you're at home having a nice gin and then you go down to the basement, you guess what you find out? You find down there an arcade it's oh. all of the games that made your life it's great and this is where you're going to be stuck on your in your desert isolated apocalyptic experience okay because this is the apocalypse arcade zone and the first thing we're going to do is kiss out your arcade is find mm-hmm. out what consoles are going to be in it firstly do you like video games because guess what we're talking I about do, I mean, I do like video games. Yeah, <laughs> it'd, be weird if, it'd be weird if we went on and, and at the end you said I don't even like video games yet. I, don't, I don't even like video games never played them so, so I only it? play audio games. Yeah, yeah well, uh, <laughs> audio games. Like, I don't know what Just that people is. phoning into Radio Four. So yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Does the, the puzzle uh, piece go up? <laughs> absolutely. The only game I play is is reruns of CITV game show Nightmare. That's it. <laughs> You're in a room. Right. Okay. So, um, what was your console history, please, Mr. Dan McKay? So, so my first console was. Uh, I was I was trying to think about this uh, and realised that my first console was actually was actually an Atari. Atari twenty six hundred. Yeah, had uh, had had in that typical eighties fashion, like all good eighties electronics did, had like a strip of wood panelling across the front, um, as all good electronics should. It's uh, really what the iPhone lacks is, <laughs> is wood panelling. Wood panelling, yeah, lovely wood panelling. You know, makes it fit. Um, and the I, I can't remember the only game I can remember playing on it, though I must have played more, uh, was was Centipede, which I remember playing obsessively. Is Centipede like now what, what what modern audiences would know as Snake, or is that some, is it not? No, it's it was sort of a no. Uh, so Centipede was kind of like Space Invaders. In that you had a little sprite on the bottom of the screen, and you'd fire up at the centipede, um, and the what you had to destroy the centipede before it uh, 
came to where you were on the screen for eight years. Oh, so nice. it was kind of like Snake and kind of like Space Invaders. A halfway house, as it were. A halfway house between the two. Um, and uh, and it, it was great. I used to play it obsessively, uh, despite it only having had about seven levels or something. I, think. <laughs> I just I don't I just remember that it was very distant. Basically, it got faster and the centipede got longer as you moved up, and it changed colour. Well, um, the colour change must have been intense. Like, oh, the colour change was yes. So it went from sort of white to yellow to green to, and then I think the final level was in purple, yeah, so like really vivid purple. Yeah, but uh, like eight bit, um, eight bit, well pre eight bit purple was not a good shade of purple. No, kind of, no, I mean it, it, it looked kind of exa- purple. Yeah, <laughs> well, it was. It was a sort of. It was very, very intense purple. It was. So I mean it was yeah it was it, so basically the graphic level was was uh, snake on a Nokia that was that was sure. what we're talking about graphics wise so and then then I went on to Mega Drive nice well, I didn't have many games for the Mega Drive but I had Alien Storm um, what was Alien Storm so Alien Storm was this like side scroller where you so it was a bit like Streets of Rage okay sort of side scrolling beat 'em up uh, but you you zapped aliens basically. Nice. So, um, and actually no, it was a bit more like Golden Axe than it was like Streets of Rage, like a sci-fi version of Golden Axe. So I played that an awful lot and Sonic. Yes, uh, now we're well. talking my language. Sonic um, and Sonic Two, and for some reason I can't remember why, but I never got Sonic. Uh, Sonic and Knuckles, but my mate Pete had it, so I used to go around and play Sonic and Knuckles at Pete's. I got very good, I got very good at Sonic, like like very good at Sonic. That's good. It's sort pa- of like it's pathetic. The like I, I'm, I Sonic was my big way into games when I was a kid. I only really have experienced this or the two D classics on re-releases and on yeah, absolutely. And stuff. And I have to say, although I I consider myself quite good at them, I can't. Mm. I the idea of getting through those games and getting all the chaos emeralds without the use of a save file. Oh god, strikes it's me a nightmare. As, like I I could I I have completed Sonic Two and I've completed mm. all seven seven chaos emeralds, but only because ROMs allow you to use save states. Absolutely, <laughs> it, it oh, feels it so be... dirty, but it's the only way to do it. <laughs> yeah, it used to be so awful. People go, oh yeah, you know, back when we didn't, yeah. Like maybe we didn't have safe states back in LA, but that didn't mean we didn't want them. <laughs> like I remember, I remember something. Was it? I think it was when Legend of Zelda came out. Like the first Legend of Zelda. I'll be talking about Zelda quite a bit as I go on. Exciting. But when um, Link to the that was it. When Link to the Past came out, Link to the Past of course had two save files, and I remember everyone going, "Well, why can't if they can have two save files, why can't why can't everything else have save files?" This is really. Annoying. I suppose that's how they made them value for money, though, because that's the, like the only way you're going to get. If they, if if those games are kind of maybe six to ten hour games. Oh yeah, that's not. That's without not saving, a bad point, they actually. become like without a save file. The amount of time it's spent probably takes about sixty to. Yes, know. that is a really good point. Actually, maybe that's that, how they just that had never it. quite <laughs> that had never quite crossed my mind. But yeah, actually, that is a really good point. I remember um, going, with Sonic. I so my before I had a games console, I'd go to a youth club on Friday nights where the organizer had an old Dreamcast and oh, yeah. set up Dreamcast and Sonic Adventure. 
and we would every week play Sonic Adventure, which is the first oh, yes. 3D Sonic. Oh um, yes. And but but they didn't have like their the the, the organizer didn't have a memory card for it. Oh yeah. So we were playing Sonic Adventure every week, just trying to see how far we could get into it. Oh, and save fa- It was like it, it it was like a proper retro experience version of it because that game is not meant to be done without a save. Without without you're meant to save. No, as you I go suppose along. it wasn't actually. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. It, I had a I had a Dreamcast for a bit at uni that I picked up in um, like cash converters or something, simply so I could. I didn't really have much interest in it beyond the fact that it had the David Bowie um, computer game Nomad Soul in it. What? There was a David Bowie computer game? There was. There was a David Bowie console game called Nomad Soul, uh, which was basically you were the Nomad Soul. You sort of wandered around possessing different bodies to... to, Was his involvement in it extensive? Yeah, it was. He he did all the soundtrack for it, and he played like... uh, He played like the sort of Yoda Oracle figure... Uh, in it, and it was all it was all a very sort of um, mid nineties Bowie sort of uh, Earthling hours era <laughs> ideas. Um, you just go around as David Bowie and possess other people's souls. No, 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 no. You're n- you're not Bowie. All oh, right. <laughs> you're this thing called the Nomad Soul. All oh, right. You are the Nomad Soul. You are the Nomad Soul, and Bowie is like a Bowie plays a different character. But it was all soundtracked by him, um, and uh, it was uh, it was quite a frustrating game because you really had to do everything in order in order for the story to progress. And if you didn't, this looks um, incredible. Yeah, it was. It was. So I spent quite a bit of time in my uh, in my third year when I should have been studying American history playing that game. Do you still play games today? Do you have a console today or anything? Like yes, I do have a Switch. Oh, today. It's, a good, it's the best one. It's the most versatile. It is, it is. Oh, and uh, Sonic, or my my at Sonic I, uh, iPhone game. I play constantly still while I'm on trains <laughs> and stuff. I like it because I really have no interest in like Xbox or Playstations with all their sort of blood and thunder marketing and <laughs> Call of Duty. What are we going to recreate? War. What is it good for? Uh, multi-billion-dollar game industry, apparently. <laughs> Stan what is your favourite story or campaign that you've played in the video game? Ah, uh, no, I was I was thinking about this because I never really play games. I never really, I very pay very little attention uh, to games. Like, oh, can I whack it with a stick or jump over it? That's, <laughs> that's it. Like, but I think my favourite like story in any game is quite recent, actually. Uh, and that's because of the rug pull that it is, the massive practical joke that the entire story is, which is in Zelda Breath of the Wild and the infamous Koroks. Oh, yes. Where you have to travel around the quite extensive map, finding 900 Korok seeds. Only 900, it's not that many. Only 900 <laughs> of these little swines <laughs> hidden in every nook and cranny of the map. And you have to find these and go around. And it takes forever and a day. I think it took me, like, so basically, I, in lockdown, I think finding the Koroks took me the best part of about eight months uh, in lockdown with the amount of time I had to play <laughs> things in lockdown. And uh, at the end of it, you. just mocking me, 
with its little sounds. And, oh, you found me. Yes, I did find you. Why did you hide? And at the end of the day, you think that, because normally with Zelda, when you do a quest, you get something, and it's wonderful. You get a new set of armour, you get a big sword. You get something that you can whack something with. And the Korok quest, you take your 900 seeds back to the back to Hestu and he goes thank you have a badge that's made of a golden poo <laughs> and that's it that's all it is that's what you get you get a little badge with a picture of a golden poo on it and it's such a rug pull I mean it's the it's a brilliant joke because it's just you sit there and go is that it oh is that it right that is it oh well <laughs> okay like because it becomes such a chore to you're like oh if I oh there it is well oh, where have I got what have I got oh I've got like because you, you sit there and you, you get like you know you get five hundred by accident you think oh well that's mo- the majority of them done now might as well you know complete it and then that four hundred takes for it and you're like oh okay what do you mean I've got to, what do you mean I've got to jump over a a hedge to get right okay and then you get it. And he just gives you a little poo. And you think, brilliant. Brilliant. Somebody at Nintendo is pissing themselves <laughs> at this. Like, like it, I think what it reminded me of, what I did here, it reminded me of uh, in those old Victorian, when you see, they tell you about the old Victorian prisons where they just used to get, like, prisoners to crank a handle pointlessly for eight hours a day and it reminded me of that i was like brilliant this is a victorian punishment of computer games i hate it but it's the most memorable thing that's ever happened to me in a computer <laughs> game. so by that dint it is probably the best isn't it that is such a great monologue about korok seeds <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone will best it on the Oh, well, there we go. There you go. Okay, no problem. I have no further questions with every aspect. Like, the rest of the... Oh, I like that nothing else in the story at all matters to you. No. The, tra- the trailer for Breath of the Wild has a bit... Has, the, the girl who plays Zelda in the... In, in, the girl who sort of voices Zelda in, that, in Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom, like, her performance in the trailer alone moved me to tears. And what... And, and, and the whole story is like when you put all of the pieces of the story together you, you realise what a heartbreaking you know failure mm. she's had in her life but what you have taken away is the Korok Poo, Korok Poo reward yeah yeah what are you doing why are you crying dear I've got a golden poo look at this that stop is... it stop having emotions my poo's golden <laughs> that's going to be the name of this week's episode I think yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely <laughs> Um, Dan McKee, did you play video games in the arcades very much? So I've been thinking about this about uh, arcade games. I didn't have much access to an arcade when I was growing up in Norwich in the eighties and early nineties. Uh, there was one arcade. It wasn't in a great part of town, and it was on the other side of town from where I was. Uh, I suddenly realised there was one that I used to play in little snatches, which was uh, whenever we'd go on holiday, we'd stop at a Happy Eater somewhere on the road. Uh, I think it's just outside Cambridge, I think, for breakfast. Um, and they had a Altered Beast arcade game. Hello. Yeah. 
So uh, about twice a year on the way there and the way back, <laughs> I would have half an hour on an Altered Beast arcade game. Nice. And I used to love that because uh, I used the the storyline of Altered Beast was perfect for eight-year-old me. You know, it was a bit like He-Man. You know, you had the, the big muscly barbarian, you transformed into something, a wolf, a, a bear. And that final time when I, that time when uh, maybe it nothing, maybe took me three years or something of playing it, where I got to be, I got onto that final level where you turned into a dragon was just, no, not, no, no, not a dragon. That's not the final, that was like the third level. The dra- the final level was either like a bear or a sort of rhino man, actually, now I say it. Was it another golden dragon? I don't know, I'm diverging it. Anyway, that time when I got to the final level for the first time, after about three years and about two hours of play, was just a chef's kiss of brilliance. There was a Time Crisis 2 machine at my uni in Freshers Week. I never really played it. I never played it that much. I played it a couple of times, but I had a mate called Ian who would later go on to do the semi-legend. If you're... For viewers in Scotland, the Fanny Iron Brew advert, that was him. He just That's used a to play great obs- Easter egg. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. He uh, he just used to play it obsessively and would to the point where he could he could be sitting there because you could still smoke indoors at the time, basically lighting up, smoking his set getting his cigarettes and still having a drink and scoring 100% while not really playing, concentrating on it. It was a magnificent thing to watch. It was quite cool, really. It, it was so impressive to see any like kids only a few years older annihilating their way through it. Absolutely. exactly yeah. how to, you know, when to point the gun away from the screen as a shortcut. And all, you know, all yeah, that yeah. Sort. It's Absolutely. just mad. It was. It was. I, it like, was. And I think mastering an arcade game, because every arcade game has got a sort of a slightly different way of you know interacting with it. Mastering mm. those is a mad skill in a way because you it know is. your your it time is. on it is limited by you know a two minute chunk or mm. however many lives you can last on 30p yes and yes it so is so i find i always found it so impressive dan mckee what is your favorite game to play in multiplayer mode uh there was only one i really ever played in multiplayer mode which was goldeneye of course because i'm that age you were there you were for the, that there at the time yeah, so um, so like so I hit uni uh, end of ninety eight ninety nine, so loads of people obviously came up to uni with their childhood n six with their teenage year n sixty fours and stuff, and they we just whatever played what most wherever you were, possibly like one at least one housemate would have. Uh, N64 with Goldeneye, and so it was just on everywhere constantly. Like it's just like, oh yeah, all right, are we doing Goldeneye was the, while we're waiting for people to come to the party? Yeah, all right. Go, are we yeah. Oh, you walk in. Oh, right, you, a game of Goldeneye's going on. All right, yeah, yeah, let's let's do that. Yeah, um, and that that was it. It was just constant. Goldeneye was just ever present, um, and that's like that's my only real memory of multiplayer multiplayer games what i find sort of fascinating about goldeneye as a cultural phenomenon is that it came out sort of as nintendo were going into decline according to the history books and everyone was sort of saying around this time that you know mm. let everyone know the playstation not have an n64 or you know that kind of that's the, 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 mm. the agreed narrative but there's no other game 
that's sort of as talked about or treated as no. sort of omnipresence and represents of the era, especially as a multiplayer. Like, you know, I know there were other massive games like Tomb Raider and things like that, but there's no PlayStation... If, if, if PlayStation had a competitor Golden Knight, which I'm sure it did, it's not talked about in the same with the same love and reverential and no, me- respect and memories. No, like, I sort of remember N64 kind of... Obviously, there was Ocarina of Time, their Majora's Mask for the N64 and they were uh, really well spoken about and then I vaguely recall there was a racing game everyone liked but god knows what that was Goldeneye just sort of on the N64 just became sort of its own cultural phenomena really it's almost a more important part of Bond lore than the actual film (laughs) itself you know other James Bond games have come and gone to no particular fanfare or trumpet yeah but we all remember like there were some there were some decent ones but nothing yeah there there weren't any masterpieces no no and then um oh yes of course and then n64 did near dark which was like a follow-up to gold knight perfect dark dark. yes that was it perfect no near dark's a vampire film isn't it Um, (laughs) n64 followed up golden eye with a vampire shooter absolutely um (laughs) bond your mission should you choose to your your mission is to go and and kill dracula vampires (laughs) uh bond versus dracula now i'd watch that um and it was just this sort of like i can't i can even i can hardly it's one of those things where people you know talk about it's more to do with the memories than anything else and I can hardly remember anything about the actual game apart from like the like the the, the big dish the the listening tower the listening oh, yeah, dish yeah. And that's the only bit of graphics I can really remember but I remember just going oh yeah all right or just lay a mine down and a very distinct memory of my friend Jamie getting incredibly angry because I sniped him completely unexpectedly and mm. took him out. But it was very much the first sort of big multiplayer on one console. I suppose also it's probably the first big shooter on a console because although there'd been Mario Kart and stuff, it yeah. was the first time people were shooting each other in the same room, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like, yeah, because Doom was a PC game, wasn't it? So. Yeah. Yeah. It was the the first shooter map on the console. Well, Certainly, the, don't the you worry. First one that hit big. Don't you worry. Gold Knight's going against your apocalyptic arcade, and you can play oh, a single player mode only, <laughs> unless oh, you lovely. can find some lovely, friends lovely, to. Lovely, you, lovely. You, go, if, if, you can you can let some other wanderers of the apocalypse come in, beat them at Golden Eye, and then and then kick and them then out again. Them. <laughs> you want to eat? <laughs> right. <laughs> Golden Eye. I better win. <laughs> Um, Dan McKee, what is so? This is sort of the uh, the two part question. What game mm. have you spent the most time on, and you're proud of it? Well, it's I think by aggregate it must be Sonic. It must be Sonic. Yeah. Simply because I've played it on and off in various formats for like twenty years. You know. Yeah. Like on my iPhone, like because I'm always playing it when I'm travelling. When you're play- um, which which I think is it is it like the endless running one or the the scrolling one on the on the phone? Which oh no, on the cause so on the phone it's just a, it's a direct port of the old Mega. Oh right, game. okay, cool. Yeah, and I'm always playing it when I'm when I'm like on a train or whatever, and obviously doing comedy, you spend a lot of time on a train. 
So uh, it must be, by simple aggregate, Sonic. Fair enough. And what is the game you spent the most time on that you're ashamed of it? Well, now that's <laughs> got to be Breath of the Wild, simply because... <laughs> because of the, you the know, golden poo. It, yeah, mainly because it was locked down. Did I, did, you know, did I learn a language? Did I spend that time bettering myself? No, I looked for a golden poop <laughs> for months. That was it. I was like, oh, good, all right. I could go out and do some press-ups, but I'm going to look for a golden poo because... I, I, it ruins you a bit also when you play Tears of the Kingdom because I can't go past that. There are rocks all over the land. And they are mm. there, because if you've run out of all your weapons, you could at least combine a stick with a rock and get a certain oh, bit of damage. But, oh, yeah. But I can't go past a single rock without lifting it up and checking for a sodding Korok. Oh, no, absolutely. There are none. Absolutely. There are none. <laughs> and you sit there and go, oh, good, you know, all right. Well, yeah. have you, I don't know if you've seen much Tears of the Kingdom play, but I don't think... So oh, I've been, playing, I've been playing it for hours. Oh, right, okay, well, then you know I'd that say. the Koroks in that one are more even, even stupider. Because yes. they want you to build vehicles to get them across to their friends. Oh, that is, I've, <laughs> you know, it reminds me of having an eight-year-old. Oh, um, I can't do it. You, you do it. <laughs> but it's next. No, you do it. But like, I want the experience, but I, don't have, yeah. I won't do it myself. <laughs> yeah, you, you could, you, you know how to do it yourself. Well, I know, but you know, you do it. But you could, yeah, I know, but you do it. Right, and like. Yeah, just yeeting Koroks into the sun. Yeah. I suppose they've, they've given you that option to make to make up for the anger you'll probably feel. To, oh, absolutely, you feel absolutely. From the previous game. You know, turning them into your own personal wicker man. Yeah, that's the. Uh, but yeah, you know, I've, I've I've been playing. Yeah, I've I've done, I've done quite. I've got I've, I think I've got about six hundred Koroks now. That's obscene. Yeah. Um, that's, um, that's. I mean, I'm not. I'm not having a go, but that is obscene. Yeah, like it I sort of seen that also you're saying that, and you're probably about halfway through the Koroks. Yeah, of course, Tears of the Kingdom. Tears of the Kingdom obviously adds in the frustrating functionality of that bloke and his signs that you have to keep holding up. Oh, and there's yeah, thousands yeah. of them, which is which is annoying. <laughs> but uh, oh, where are? What do you mean? There's 82 of them. Oh bloody hell! There's 82 right. of him. Apparently so. Yes. But I thought like there might be like one per region. Yeah, I, I did think that. That's no, what see, apparently... But no, okay, go on, okay, I'll have to keep looking. Um, yep. Dan McKee, what is objectively the best video game of all time? Oh, well, it's got to be Sonic, hasn't it? Which We're Sonic? back to Sonic, haven't we? Yeah, <laughs> just because I play it so often. Which, so, which Sonic, the original? Sonic 1, the, Sonic the original. Is... Yeah. Like, I play it, like, the fact that it's last, you know, we're still talking about it 20 years later. Are you going to uh, get 30 the, um... years later... Are you gonna get? Did you get the Origins collection pack that they released recently? Because, uh, yes, I do think I've got. I think because they've. That, I, I I've played all for you know all four or five of those games enough times. Mm. I don't need to play. I don't want to play them again. But they mm. added Amy in as a character, and that to me just sounds like such a fresh way to. It's such like even if the level. Yes, I I know she exists. I don't know what you can do with her. She so. is like um a weapon and she has a hammer and stuff. And oh, sounds, okay. It, it sounds dumb, but the fact they've just taken that game and added more stuff to. Oh, I like the idea of going around the original Sonic courses with a hammer. The original, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go on. Uh, what is the worst game you've ever played? 
So, the worst game I've ever played isn't actually a bad game, but it was the worst game for me, and that was on the Mega Drive, Alien 3. Alien 3 on the Mega Drive. Yeah, because it was impossible. <laughs> just, just... So, I like, I used to try and play it, and I'd fail every time because of just how quickly the aliens moved in it. I'm not really much of a man for, like, flurry rushes and dodging and stuff. I'll walk up to you with a hammer and hit you with it, and that's, that's kind of my approach to enemies in, uh, in games. And Alien 3, you've got all these really quick aliens that you need to dodge. And I thought... Um, I, saw, I found an emulator on it of it a little while ago and I thought oh you know it's been 20 years you've improved as a player (laughs) you can finally do it now could I buggery I I failed as badly as I failed when I was 12 years old oh no so obviously Alien 3 the the, the perfect game to license to a 12 year old the perfect film to license to a 12 year old isn't it but yeah I was just it's just impossible is it unfairly designed gameplay or is, is it because like 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 because I, I remember years ago Charlie Brooker said the thing is it's if a video game is really good, when you die or lose a life you will blame yourself. When mm. the game is really bad, you will get frustrated and put the controller down and say this game is broken or bad or whatever. So yeah, is, is, that... is the game it's just a bad it's just it's just some fairly designed game. <laughs> yeah, well I I just certainly for me the aliens move so quickly, I can I could never I never had the reaction time to cope with them. Is it a side scroller? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just a side scroller, but the aliens move so much quicker than any, like anything in like Alien Storm or anything. Right. And um, the I was just I was just it was like oh yeah I'll play this emulator. Throws laptop across room thirty seconds later. <laughs> go no I will not play this emulator. This emulator has cursed. I did think I'd go back in and see if I could do that thing you can do where you down clock the speed but then it just made it really really slow everything and i was like no this doesn't work either. i'm bored i'm not playing this no game. i've got better things to do i've got to go find I've 400 korok seeds and absolutely i've got better things to do with my life like slowly pulling my fingernails out that would be more enjoyable than this game objectively the best game you're saying objectively the best game of all time you're saying is sonic one but what's personally yeah. your favorite video game Zelda Wind Waker. Oh, talk to me about Zelda the Wind Waker. Zelda it's, Wind Waker. It's, it's, I just... People for, people talk say Ocarina of Time this, Ocarina of Time that. People mm. do not regard enough Wind Waker this, Wind Waker. Nah, Wind Waker's great. Wind Waker's like playing, so good. It is. It's like it's genuinely is like playing a cartoon. It's fantastic. Cartoon physics, you know, you, you'd hit a, a cobblin and they go flying. It's like living in, you know, it's like a Fleischer cartoon made manifest and I love it. But also, I remember um, as a kid finding it kind of scary and spooky still. Because yeah, it's, not, it's, got some... it's, it's cutesy, but when that allows them to make, them to make the disturbing stuff more disturbing. Anyway. Absolutely, absolutely. It is It is a bit of a bouquet barbed wire, to be honest with you, but like it, it, it's got some really good stuff in it and works quite... It's got, it's got this thing where it, like, in some of the temples, where obviously they're disguising the ability to render far off that it hasn't got the capabilities to render like far off, uh, ske- you know, uh, backgrounds by kind of just making things fade into infinity. And I, I always found that really quite unsettling. So, but it was it was good. It's good. It's a brilliant game. 
it's um, it's i mean i was not i would say it's underrated but everyone rates it, it very highly it's just yeah. not enough people it because it's because it was part of the the, the i don't say furore but the the fake outrage of Nintendo's gone to kiddie or whatever. And then, oh, yeah, yes, but yes. But I, I played it properly. Like, I played it a bit as a kid, but never finished it, because I was mm. just finding the balls. Mm. But I played it properly. when that was, I was one of the few... I was one of the 317 people who bought a Wii U. And oh, right. They, <laughs> oh, yes. Some kind of one they existed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they released the Wind Waker HD. Um, oh, they did, didn't they? Yeah. 2013, something like that. And I mm. played it a little while ago. I played it sort of five, six years ago, and it's absolutely fantastic. It and is. it's the game that looks. It look. I think. I mean, there's constant rumors about whether they're going to port the HD versions of Wind Waker mm. and Twilight Princess to the Switch. And if they do, it, they are absolutely. Wind Waker in particular just looks glorious. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Kind of. Yeah. And they've taken. They made it a little bit easier as well, and that's. Mm. <laughs> just at the end there the Wind Waker walk so Breath of the Wild could run if you know what I mean yeah yeah absolutely it, like, laid down absolutely. the foundation of making the world absolutely huge yeah um, yeah it really did basically once they had enough basically if they had the capacity of Breath of the Wild 20 years ago they would have put mm. all the, they would have filled it with more and more islands from the they, so, would. <laughs> they would it was, it was brilliant it was absolute work of, of cartoon animation genius um, and I loved it what video yep. game would you like to mm-hmm. see the movie of, or what movie or TV show would you like to see the game of? And don't worry, this isn't being handled by like some. This isn't like the noughties yeah. when every action action film was quickly made into like a very generic platformer. That someone's gonna work really hard on this and make it at least at least a seven out of ten game for you. But or, or they can make it any they can make it any old style you like. They could make only fools and horses, but streets of rage. What sort of, like what is, is there are any TV shows or films that you'd love to see reimagined and brought to an audience in video game form or the other way around? Well, it's not so much that there's something, but I wish that we still did uh, like we used to with the uh, incongruous spectrum games based on British television properties. Oh yeah, you know because obviously the Spectrum games they had there was a game of Minder uh, and a game of Allo Allo of all things, <laughs> and you know and I just sit there and I think well if only we you know still had that you know we could have a beat 'em up with the stars of comedy it'd be fantastic. <laughs> Bobby Ball comes out and just twangs you with his red uh, braces. It would be it would be marvelous, and I just r- wish that. They, you could still, they were still doing that kind of homebrew. That kind of homebrewed game based on rather provincial British television properties. You know, like uh, oh, I don't know, like Breath of the Wild, but it's based on Brookside. And you <laughs> just end, going around an endless council estate of this yeah, just going game. around an endless estate. Uh, and rather than Korox, little packets of heroin, and <laughs> you know, uh, the I, I wish there was more of that. Dan McKee, you have been fantastic, and thank you very well, thank much you. for being thank you very much. in the Apocalypse Arcade. But when the world I've ended, enjoyed it. 
when the world ended and you were absolutely fine. And, and, and the thing is, the world ended, but you hadn't really noticed for about two months because you hadn't really come... Because because the BBC had stopped broadcasting the news, but you weren't fussed. You were too busy watching box sets of 70s uh, sitcoms that you seem to endlessly acquire in your life. So so if you don't follow Dan McKay on Twitter, you have to, because he tweets endlessly about TV shows that from sort of the 60s, 70s, 80s, and gives reviews of them that they are more attentious than than the view than the than the people who made the shows could possibly expect and receive. Um, <laughs> Wonderful, yeah, yeah. But yeah. You do, I, I, I do, I do. I'm watching like everyone keeps going on about uh, Succession, of yeah, course, yeah, yeah. being this whole thing set in the fight between a load of siblings uh, running a company, and of course, I'm watching. Uh, the 1970s BBC drama The Brothers, which was about a load of siblings <laughs> what, fighting to run Baker? a company. It was, it was. Yeah, Colin, yeah. In fact, only this morning I watched Colin Baker's first appearance, where he he's, plays a villainous proto yuppie. Is he good at it? He is. Yeah, he's really good at it. So Dan McKee, when you mm. when you heard about the end of the world, like a month after everyone else did, because you were too busy watching box sets of 70s dramas like The Brothers and mm-hmm. all the other things that you get up to and you're still playing Absolutely. Sonic on your iPhone and you were still looking and, and occasionally Googling go, go, googling the ways to slow down the aliens and Alien 3 on uh, Mega Drive. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Uh, you eventually realised the world had ended. So you, just, so, 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 so you and your family resigned to your basement and hoped for the best. And then you had a nice time playing Goldeneye with your son and your wife for a long, long time and, and until your son beat you at Goldeneye and you threw it across the room. Uh, you eventually found all the Korok seeds in Tears of the Kingdom, and you and, and guess what? It's an even bigger golden poo you get in that. Oh, I don't know. I'm blessed. Yet. Blessed. But you eventually you 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 survived happily in your apocalypse arcade in the basement, but you left one game behind, kind of to a, to, to, to for prosperity for, to be discovered by the civilization that follows the civilization that that recovers the earth many years from now. What is the one game that you're going to take with you and leave to the Apocalypse Arcade? The Altered Beast. Altered Beast. Is, so it, the, people... is it a home version or is it the arcade cabinet? Uh, the arcade cabinet. Nice. So people can discover it as organically and as infrequently as I do. <laughs> so it's just a, it's when people are travelling on what's left of Britain and going up and down and they go up and down they go, they go up and down the country once every once a year for their holiday. Yeah, absolutely. And on the way and up they play it and they play it on the way back down again. Yeah, in a desolate, <laughs> empty, happy eater. <laughs> a lone uh, arcade game of Altered Beast flickers into life beautiful. Dan McKee, you have been an absolute delight. Do you want people to follow you on social media anywhere? And do you have Absolutely. any projects coming up you want them to look out for you for, or any gig, gig listings, etc.? Uh, yeah, just just come follow me on... Uh, so, uh, it's all uh, at Daniel underscore J underscore McKee over on like threads and Facebook and whatever. Uh, Twitter. Uh, or X, whatever it's called. Whatever's, whatever's left of it. Whatever's left of that <laughs> desolate post post apocalypse of micro tweeting. Uh, uh, come follow me. You'll get you'll you get a series of completely incongruous reviews <laughs> of of television programs you've never heard of and don't care about. Uh, and but you'll get them regularly. Um, and uh, you'll you'll get, of course, the legendary Ron Pember of the week, which is. 
uh, where I update you with what particular television programme I've seen the actor Ron Pember in that week. Um, and, yeah, it'll be fun. Um, I'm sort of, if you want to come see me, I'll be gigging around the northwest um, in various times and places, and uh, it'll be lovely to see you. Uh, if you ever get, a, if, if 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 you live in the part of the country where you've got a comedy club nearby, Dan McKee is playing. Check him out. He is all. He's he's always a, he's always brilliant on stage. Check him out. He's a good lad, and he is no doubt going to be addicted to stand up enough to one day be doing full solo shows again. Maybe one day, one day. Who knows? One maybe. day, perhaps. One day. Yeah, yeah. that's what we want to hear. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on Apocalypse Arcade Zone, Dan McKee. And thank you so much for joining us at Apocalypse Arcade Zone, you the listeners at home. And wherever you are, have a lovely rest of your day. Until next time, bye-bye. <laughs>